Mark, Luke, Peter, all them. So they were working, they were in their business, they were doing their lives at the way they've been doing it for however long they've been doing it for. Being fishermen, they got tax collectors, people from all different arenas of life. And they just walked by and said, hey, follow me. <laughs> you know? And for whatever reason, they drop the nets, they just drop whatever, they go follow him. Hey, follow me. Drop the stuff, they just go follow him. That's a picture of what it looks like for the Christian. They come in contact with Jesus, with His voice. They hear it. Something resonates inside of them. And there's like this pull, this urge towards it. Some people dismiss that and ignore it. Other people say, no, there's something there. And then the really bold and brave people, they say, you know what? I'm going to learn a lot more about that. And then hopefully at some point, they go all in. And what they do is they say, oh, my old life, the way that I used to think, the way I used to get back at people, the way that I used to hold on to unforgiveness, the way that I used to approach relationships and romance, the way I used to think about money, ah, I'm going after the way he did it. That's, that's what I'm doing. Follow me. Follow Jesus. That's what it really boils down to for the Christian. So it actually involves a leaving of some things. Because we're really good at deceiving ourselves with what we think we really do. <laughs> but we need to know that we've actually left some things and it helps have other people around us. That we left some things and it cost us something to go follow him. So it means to be a Christian. And unfortunately, like kind of the, the common thing around today is just I believe there's a Jesus, I believe there's a God. For the most part, he seemed like a good guy. Yeah, I believe that. I'm a Christian. Unfortunately, that couldn't be further from the truth. Because that involves no sacrifice or suffering on our part, which that's what Jesus went through. That was his whole life to go towards the cross. It was a major part of it. So to be mentally, favorably disposed towards Jesus and God like we're on our way. <laughs> but there's definitely still some further work to be done. So that baptism is basically just an outward sign of, yeah, hey, I made the commitment. I'm following them. And it's not like baptized, being baptized gets you saved, it gets you into heaven, that the water makes you clean. I mean, we could get the lake water we used last week and I could just throw it on all of you. Like, it's not going to do anything. Probably cool you off, it's hot in here. But other than that, it's not going to do anything. It's just an outward sign of an inward commitment that somebody who's a Christian has made. That's all baptism boils down to. And we left off last week, and I feel like the Lord kind of put on my heart, so follow me is the issue, right? Everybody say, follow me. Follow me, me, right? That's the issue. Um, So I want to try and tackle two questions today. Number one, how do you follow an invisible Jesus? There's the elephant in the room. Like, like great for, like, Andrew and Peter, and like they could see him. He follow me, you know, like they go walk. Like there's a thing happening in real life in real time. We're not there. It's 2016. So how do you follow an invisible Jesus? What does that look like? And then the other question: Is it realistic or even biblical to believe that we could follow after him? And do what he did. 
Is that a fair expectation? Because some people right away, probably even as soon as I said that, some people, not all people, but some people could feel, oh my gosh, that's, that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's a heavy burden. Jesus, I mean, me? Eh. So there's two questions I want to try and tackle this morning. How do you follow an invisible Jesus? And number two, is it even biblical or realistic to even expect us to follow like he did and do things like he did in his life? Are you with me? Okie dokie. So, I got you some fill-in-the-blanks here. Hopefully it will help, okay? Here's number one. We're going to try and tackle the first question there. How to follow an invisible Jesus? Um, Right before we get into these blanks, the way you follow an invisible Jesus is you go where he went. You're going to go where he went. So if I want to follow Jesus, I got to go where he went. I was uh, I had the privilege this past week of um, coaching at a sports camp, uh, four and five year olds, and the camp went all the way up into twelves. And they had all these teams broken down within the different ages. I happened to have the youngest group because my oldest son Jaron really wanted to do it. So I was like, uh, you know, let's see how this goes. So in my particular group, I had nine four and five year olds. I had all boys, which was pretty funny. Um, and at this particular sports camp, there's like 125 kids. And the main uh, sports that they did were soccer, basketball, and cheer. So those are three they did, and they kind of change up the sports each year. And um, it's really interesting. <laughs> These kids, you know, they just want to throw grass at each other. You know, they, the most fun times we had were rolling around on the ground acting like animals. Um, you know, spraying water on each other, putting pie in my face, you know. So you try and do a huddle time. So a huddle time means you try and sort of talk to them. But they're four and five, you know, so it's just, it's just craziness, the stuff they come up with. It's really funny. And so there's one whole time, you know, we were talking about um, what it means to be a leader. That's just a hard concept to get across to, like, a kid. It's like, a leader? You know, like, what are we? Um, so one of the things we talked about was just the game, follow the leader, which most of them can kind of relate to that, right? Much of... What we talked about in our huddle time, we're going to talk about right now together, just the big boy version and the big girl version. So if we, yay. So the, people are like, no, give me the four and five-year-old. I like that. <laughs> but much of it involves following the leader, right? So if we're going to follow an invisible Jesus, well, he went some places, he did some things, it's probably important to look at them. So here's our fill in the blanks. Number one, he went to everyone. He went to everyone. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. I'll read it for you. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners... Oh boy. He's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. It's a big no-no. Came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, religious leaders, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? How can that be good? He's going to be unclean. They're going to say some things. They're going to be swearing. They're going to be talking about inappropriate things. It's very vulgar. How is that a good place for a Messiah to be hanging out? So that's where they're coming from. That could be like a very honest question, right? Like they could have had good intentions and good motives behind it. Tone has a lot to do with things. Like 
So why? I'm confused. Why is he hanging out with them? I thought he's trying to live like a really clean and pure life. And a question could be asked like that, right? Then there could be the other way to ask, why are you hanging out with them? You shouldn't be hanging out with them. They're very inappropriate people that we don't hang out with. Why are you doing that? Right? It's like you're asking the same thing, but it's said totally different way. And unfortunately, the religious leaders were known for not doing it the first way. They're known for doing it the second way. They're accusatory. So verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. A.K.A. layman's terms, he's like, man, I'm here for everybody. There is no special group that I focus more in on, that I pay more attention to. And I wrote down just some people he was normally with. He was with Samaritans. That's like, I mean, geez, in our culture right now, you know, it's just racially charged right now with what's going on, right? But he would have no problem going to any place with any people talking about any situation. Like, Jesus wouldn't be the one being like, "Mm, I don't really support or agree with such and such person over there, so I won't, you know, and then anything that they say, I'll just disregard. He's trying to figure out a way to work and, like, have something right come out of it. So he'd hang out with Samaritans. He'd hang out with women. They weren't viewed that very highly back then at all. And he was, like, ridiculously empowering. And actually spent a lot of time with women. Hung out with lepers, super unclean. Rule of the day was, hey, you don't come around lepers. You don't do it. He hung around rich people. He hung around poor people. He hung around kids. So why would he do that? Why? Why would he do that? It's a good question. He would do that because his main focus was not necessarily making friends finding a romantic relationship, getting people to be on his side. His main focus was, how can I invest and bring the kingdom and bring heaven into their life? I hope you didn't miss that part. That was his main focus on being around people, no matter who it was. How can I bring heaven into their life? How can I in some way bring truth, bring love? How can I in some way radically bring God's love to this person? That's where his focus was at. And he would do that with anyone. It didn't matter. Could be family members. Could be friends. Could be coworkers. Didn't matter how they looked, how they walked, who they hung out with, what they did, what they liked. It didn't matter. He had a love and appreciation that he talked about in his prayer when he was praying. There's an amazing amount of value that he just automatically saw when he saw people. And in our day and age, it's like really rare rare to have people just call out value in people. Most of us are really good at getting a quick scan and making a quick diagnosis in our head. And Man, we need work. (laughs) And then too few 
are just able just to like to listen, even if they don't like, you know, what's going on and what they're saying and how they're delivering. Like just like listen past the language that's being used and what's happening. Most Christians are just so quick to flinch. You know, like, got to ease up a little bit. God's not going to be surprised if they swear in the next two minutes. Probably not the best choice of language that they should be doing. We could still be in conversation with them. Because so, I know so many Christians, like, it's just, especially in conflict with people, oh, well, they said this, and they said that, and oh, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Do you think that was part of Jesus' vocabulary? I'm done now. The only people where he showed flashes of that with were the religious leaders. The ones that were purposefully hypocritical, where they knew they were doing wrong and they still kept doing it. He's like, wow, you brood of vipers, you snakes. Like, he had names for them, too. But in most of relationships, it was, I'm done. You know, like, we're trying here. We're trying. So he had appreciation and love for all people. He went to everyone. So if I'm saying I follow Jesus, I hope somewhere in my life, I'm guilty of, man, just trying to invest and call value out of everyone, no matter the person, no matter the situation. It's got to be going on up there. All right, he went to everyone. And I just wanted to say, too, on a quick note, I don't want to... I mentioned before that he didn't go just to make friends, make romantic relationships, um, get people to be on his side. I didn't say that to mean that those are bad things. They're not bad things. It's not bad things, you know, to, to make friends. It's not a bad thing to, like, figure out, okay, so-and-so, like, can I date them? Like, is there a potential there? You know, how's that going to... That's, that's not a bad thing at all. God's put those desires in us. He's put desires in us to be in community, to be around other people. He's put desires within us to be in relationship, romantic relationship. Some people want to be. Some people don't want to be. It's just... It is the way it is. The only problem is, is when those desires start to be primary focused. Like I was talking to somebody this week, you know, and they're talking about, um, you know, doing a, some missionary work somewhere, and <laughs> they were just, they really liked the particular region because they knew that a lot of Christian couples end up happening out of that particular place. <laughs> uh, you know, you gotta laugh about this stuff, you know, because. You're just talking, it's just his true, honest heart. And it just took us a little while to get there. I was like, man, or, like, ah, well. A big thing of his like, thought process of driving was like, you know, to find his mate there. And I think God wants him to have a mate for sure, you know, but for him to go the direction he was going, there was a primary focus that had to be more of the driving force than the one that was underneath it. Does that make sense? So the other stuff is good. It's good, but it can get out of place. Because people are just looking for friends, and they're just looking to hang out. How are they ever looking to invest in anybody's life? Because then there's a lot of people like, nah, I don't think I can trust them. I won't open to them. I won't do this. I won't do that. Then like these little walls and barriers come up. But God's calling us to be in a place where we can invest and call out value to people's lives. So the friendship thing is good. But like it gets out of hand when that's all we look for or that's all we'll surround ourselves with 
if we feel like it's going well, we're making a lot of good relationships. So much of our being should be, who can I invest in? Who can I love on? Who's having a hard time seeing value in their life? Or you know what? Who's doing an amazing job of recognizing their value? Who can I encourage? It's very rare to come across Christians who actually think like that on a fairly consistent occasion. (laughs) It's difficult. We get in the way. All right, so he went to everyone. Number two, he went by himself. He went to everyone. He went by himself. We're going to follow him. Where did he go? He went to everyone. He also went by himself. Um, the one I put in your bulletin there, Luke 5.16. You can turn there if you want. I'll just read it. It's one verse. Luke 16, 5.16. And there's a bunch of passages that say this, but this is a big deal. 5.16. Check it out. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If you want to read some more this week and look them up, Mark one thirty-five, Luke 6.12, Matthew 4. There's a bunch of places. It was a common pattern for Jesus to get alone and to pray. Very common. Jesus needed consistent, uninterrupted relationship time with his Father. Jesus needed that. Jesus! He needed it. Jared needs it. Put your name in there. Greg needs it. Right? Tabitha needs it. Consistent, isolated time, just alone with God. We need it. That's not like if I can fit it in. No, it's like I need it. That's a big difference. And we're all busy, absolutely. Some things you just need. And that's typically like the biggest struggle a lot of times in the Christian life is just making that a priority, giving that enough time to build on itself, to connect with God's heart. Because when that happens... When that happens and we invest and we give that time in our life to that and we give God, give ourselves to God like that, what happens is we start to hear His voice more clearly. We start to like, wow, this isn't just a cliche. This isn't just religious jargon. God's like doing ridiculous stuff in my heart and in my life and it's actually playing out. It's very hard to see any of that though if it's like sparse or doesn't really happen. And here's one thing I noticed that I think could be a barrier. It's intended to be helpful, but it it can be a struggle. Because we live in the society we live in, it's really common to have something always going on all of the time. It's very common. Have the music going. Um, Could even be having a pastor's thing going. It could be have anything. And God's saying, no, no, like that stuff is good. Like, listen to that stuff. Be around it. Surround yourself with it. Let the voices of heaven be common in your home and in your car. But that's all secondary. Prime, give me primary time, one-on-one with me. That's what matters. Primary, one shut, like shut it off. Shut the sermons off. Shut the music off. 
shut everything off. What if you can do? How if you can fit it in? I have to get very creative, you know, because we've got the baby, we've got Jaren, we've got Judson, and I work during the week, and I'm very busy here as well. So it's like, I've got to get super creative. I fit stuff into just crazy times. I literally just be driving somewhere, and if I've got a window of like 17 minutes, I'll pull over in the parking lot, and we're going to do something for 17 minutes. It's a priority. I need it. I need it. Sometimes I'll fall asleep, and that will happen sometimes. <laughs> I'll be so tired. It's just the reality. Try not to, but sometimes it happens. And then some people say, oh, I didn't get my chapter done. I didn't get all of this done. It's like, man, I, I, I found that it's the bulk of really solid quiet times involve a lot, a lot of just prayer time. A lot of just talking with them, and then just a lot of listening. And then there's some Bible reading in there. If you've got time for it and you get to it. But there's just a lot of just pouring out. God, I'm so frustrated today. I don't understand. What are you doing right now? Why would you do it this way? It seems ridiculous. You told me to trust in you, and now I am, and then now what? Like, our quiet time should look like that. Hopefully we can come back around. That's where the Bible comes in. But God, your Bible does say, like, you're going to be faithful. I have a hard time seeing that. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you the way that you said. Because I'm not in this for me. I'm in this for you and what you want. These are what quiet times look like. I saw a thing this week with the kids at the camp. It just like struck me. Boom! Like right in the moment. Sometimes it happens. God just like hits you with a zinger sometimes. So I saw this kid. Who was it? Uh, I think it was Hans or David. One of the kids. We're like there getting a water break. And the kid's like right here. I'm going to make a mess, but whatever. The kid's like right here, and he's like this. I'm like, <laughs> literally doing that for like two minutes. Yeah. Coach Jay. Seriously, that's what he's doing. Feet are all wet. But. Immediately, went, what I laughed like the first like five seconds, and then immediately, I don't even know where it comes from. I know where it comes from. Spirit just dropped the hammer on me. He goes, that's what so many of my believers do, as my followers do. He's like, Jared, you are guilty of that. I'm like, ah, oh, what am I guilty of? I'm guilty of, like, the source, right? So their hydration, it was hot this week. So their hydration, right, like stuff that they need in their little bodies, stuff we need in our bodies, right? Ah, rejuvenates this, gets us back, okay. They're missing three quarters of it. I'm so thirsty, I'm so hot, you know, Coach Jake, we have a break. Of course you're so thirsty and you're so, like, you're not getting anything into you. And there's so many Christians. Now, I don't know about God. He's not that real. I don't know what his will is. He doesn't show up here. He doesn't do this. Da, 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 da. I'm so, ah. Uh. You're doing the water thing. There's very few people that are drinking the right way. Ah. Going to drink some living water, both lips locked around, taking advantage of it. Very few Christians that do that, unfortunately. And then 
there's so many Christians running around with these like stale, I don't know who God is, and just this strange relationship, and it's just confusing and discouraging, and then they'll put them on the shelf, or they'll be mad, and he's the source, Jesus needed him. Man, time with him is like not optional. It's not for us to just police what everybody else does and how they do it and what they do in their time. It comes down to ownership on our end. So be, and Jesus knew that. I mean, he's like, man, I got to get away. I gotta, he's Jesus. I mean, come on. It's crazy. He's like, no, I got to get away. I need to get away. It's time for me to fill up. And then I'll come on back. That's what he did. He did it multiple times. That's where the Christian life is lived. It's not lived in a good church service. It's not lived in a good pastor, a good worship team. Those are good to have those moments. The Christian life is lived in private with your father, talking, crying out, having your relationship between you and him. And that's a you and him thing. You might tell other people some stuff about it. They might hear some stuff about it. That's great. For the most part, it's between you and your father. And it's a really important thing. doesn't mean we just close ourselves off from everybody. I got God at home. I don't need to go to church. That's like ridiculous. It's crazy. We need each other to help come alongside. We all play a different part. We can all invest and serve with each other and build each other up. So we're called to do. So I hope you got a good mental picture of that water because I got a picture of Hans. And I was like... So when I get to Wednesday, my quiet times have been like this, or they've been minimal at best, and it's no wonder by Thursday morning, I'm like, that's what happens. Okay, I'll go quicker. All right, he went to everyone, he went by himself, he went to the cross. There's a reality, right? He went to the cross, everybody knows that. So if we're following Jesus, do you think some hardship, some difficulty, some sacrifice like the cross would be involved in your life? A resounding yes. It will. Some people think that I'm getting really blessed by God because I'm not having a lot of hard things happen to me. Be careful on that theology. If, If I was the enemy, I'd keep you really comfortable. What do you got for it then? For most people, they're just in it for themselves anyway. So if I can keep you comfortable, you're not much of a threat in the kingdom. Think about that. It's true. So suffering, we can't be surprised. It's going to come. It's going to rain on the Christian. It's going to rain on the young Christian. Bad times are coming. They will happen. They will hit. There's sin and evil in this world. Good news is there's always hope There's always a God that has plan A, B, C. He can reroute any situation until you still end up where we got to go. The ultimate GPS of all time. God GPS the best. Check out this quote. It's from David Paulison. When you've passed through your own fiery trials and found God to be true to what he says, you have real help to offer. You have firsthand experience of both his sustaining grace and his purposeful design. He has kept you through pain. He has reshaped you more into His image. What you are experiencing from God, you can give away in increasing measure to others. 
You are learning both the tenderness and the clarity necessary to help sanctify another person's deepest distress. Suffering is an inevitable part of a necessary love. That's what happens, right? Because the suffering thing, we tend to think, because when we're in it and the fire's hot and we're going through it, it's like kind of all we can see sometimes. That's why it's helpful, again, to have community. But when we're in it, so we can see. But the greater part of the plan is God will grow us closer to himself right through it. He will build our faith in the midst of it. We'll truly know better who he is. And God's looking long-term. He's saying, okay, they're going through that, but they're going to come in contact with so-and-so later in life, and they can speak life and bring life and bring encouragement to them. So the story is much bigger than us in our suffering. Much bigger. Does it make it hurt any less? Not really, no. Stuff just hurts and things happen and life is difficult. Absolutely. Last one, he went to heaven. So he went to everyone. He went by himself. He went to the cross, all places we should go. To everyone, by ourselves, to the cross, he went to heaven. I'm going to read Acts 1, just two verses. Acts 1, 9 through 11. Check it out. After he had said this, Jesus, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. You're going to heaven. You think we're going to follow Jesus up to heaven? Yes. Yes. So how do you follow an invisible Jesus? We got to go where he went. He went to everyone. He went by himself. It was a priority for sure. He went to the cross and he went to heaven. Now we don't have to go to the cross. <laughs> right? You don't have to go through it. I don't have to get nailed to a cross. You don't have to get nailed to a cross. You don't have to suffer in that way. But what God does call and what he does ask, he says, hey, give your life over to me as a sacrifice and trust me and I promise you I'll come through. So we don't go to a cross, but we do offer our lives as a living sacrifice unto him. And because he's a good father, it's just his joy to see us grow in holiness and with that comes happiness, with that comes joy, with that comes pleasure. It's like a dad who loves his kids. He wants to shower them with blessings. All right, we had that other question. Is it realistic? It's biblical. That's really the issue, right? Is it biblical to have an expectation that we should be following Jesus and then like living like that and doing things like he did? Is that biblical is that even realistic because if it's not what happens is we just get a lot of pressure put on ourselves that we should be a certain way and it's just a matter of time before we quit and we're done because that's what overwhelming pressure does to us eventually we just quit and we're done with it i'll give you a hint the answer has three letters
What do you think the answer is? It's a yes, yeah, because no has two letters, you know, so like it doesn't work, right? Okay, John 14, verse 12. Check it out. It is a yes, but let me tell you why. Guys are awesome. You're just deep in thought. Spirits just all over your heart. John 14, verse 12. This is Jesus talking. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith, say faith. faith. This is what matters. In me, in who? I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do, she will do, even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Whoa, 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 whoa. So the game plan is, I, you know, Jesus is saying, hey, the game plan is this. I'm going to the Father. You guys hold down the fort. And you'll be empowered to do what I've been doing and even more than that. That's the plan. And what the enemy does, he knows the deal. He very successfully convinces a whole bunch of Christ followers that they can't do it, they don't have it, they'll never be able to, they're not worthy, they're disqualified for any number of reasons. And Jesus' original plan is, I'm making the kingdom happen on earth through the Christians. Not through the pastors, not through the worship leader, not through the missionary, through the Christians. The Christ follows. That's the game plan. People will get saved. People will know who God is. People will understand his love better. They will know about forgiveness. They will know about giving their life away because they're around Christians. Not because they're around Christian leaders. Because they're around Christians. That's the game plan. Now, if you think about that for a minute, again, that can feel pretty heavy. Oh, <laughs> you're counting on me, you know? Like you give the ball to the kid for the last shot for the game-winning shot. I don't want it. <laughs> Jesus is fine with it. He's like, you, you take the shot. We'll work with whatever happens. It seems kind of hopeless until you look at 2 Timothy 2.1 and a couple other passages, but we don't have time for them. And again, you can turn there if you want, but you don't have to. I'll read it to you. This will be the last place we go. 2 Timothy 2.1 says, You then, my son, he's talking to Timothy, applies to women as well. You then, my son, my daughter, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. That, that, that's a big word in the Christian vocabulary. Because if, if our calling as Christ follows is to follow Jesus, to walk where He walked, to go where He went, to live like He lived, and then He even goes far to say, yeah, you're even going to do more than that. So it's going to happen. The only thing that empowers us to do that, say empowers. Empowers. Because, hey, the newsflash is, you as an individual cannot carry out the Christian life in your own strength. I can't do it on my, can't get it done. Cannot get it done. Not happening. And some of you are like, well, yeah. 
It's not happening. It's not happening. Well, then why would God do that? Good question. He would do that because the deal is always about resting in Him and His strength and His provision. That was always the game plan. Where you lean on Him for salvation and we're leaning Him for a faith that makes it through each day. Grace empowers us. The grace empowers us. So he's telling Timothy, hey, listen, man, stand strong in the grace. The grace thing matters a lot. Grace, meaning what Jesus has done for us and we couldn't do on our own, God is totally okay with that plan. And He was the originator of it. And He knows that we're going to struggle and have weaknesses. And He continues to say, Trust in Me. I will provide. I will guide your steps. Commit your way to Me. I'll give you the desires of your heart. Follow Me in faith. Human effort says, Ah, I messed up. Ah! He ain't going to bless me now. Dang it. Human effort says, oh, that was a bad Saturday night. There's no way I can go to church tomorrow. That was bad. Human effort says, this is just, just, there's no way he's going to respond to me. After, like, he knows what I've been doing and I know what I've been doing. Grace says, you tell God what's going on inside of you. God, I shouldn't have done this. I know it. Did it again. Or I did it for the first time. Or whatever. But I'm forgiven by you. And in faith, I believe it. And I'm going to try and commit myself to you so I don't go there and do that anymore. And grace says, grace says, I'm still treating you like a son or a daughter who has all of my inheritance. That's what grace says. That's what we live under. That's what empowers us. So the grace shuts off condemnation and it shuts off tons of shame and paralyzing guilt. It shuts it off. Not that it doesn't matter, that we don't care, that now we have a license to do whatever we want. No. Actually, what grace does, it actually it actually brings us into such a relationship to where it's, it's restrictive in all of the right places for all of the right reasons. And no amount of legality in your life can ever put you in that place. Grace is incredible. So our victory to be able to follow Jesus where He went and do what He did, it doesn't depend upon our willpower. Say willpower. Or our effort. It doesn't primarily depend on those. To some degree it does. We still have to choose to not do certain things, to not put ourselves in certain places, to not be around certain things, not listen to them, not see them, whatever. We've got to make those choices. But primarily, we are under grace, and that's what empowers the Christian, knowing that we are loved, forever loved, that He proved His love through His Son, 2,000 years ago, and that's never in question and never in doubt. And then our enemy starts to remind us about our past, remind him of his future. That's right. 
So those two questions, right? How to follow an invisible Jesus? I hope we know a little bit better now. Got some places where he went, some places we should be hanging out and having a part of our lives. Is it realistic, biblical, to expect that God's asking us to look like Jesus, live like Jesus? Yeah, totally. And the good news is, he told us he's going to do the heavy lifting. He says, man, you're covered by grace. You don't lose humility. You stay in a lifestyle of repentance. And I promise you, I'll carry you where you need to go. It's good news right there. Amen? Amen. So we're going to do this song at the end. Um, Rob, you don't have to play this one loud. Just kind of quieter. Um, but you can put the words up there. And I was thinking, you know, after hearing some of that, some people might still struggle with, I don't know if I can trust following him. How trustworthy is he? That's usually where the issue is if there is an issue. So we'll just play the song, think about it a little bit. You can sing along if you'd like or just pray to yourself. And then after that, Keith, you just come up and close in prayer. Sound good? All right, go ahead, Rob.